Thank you, Sam. That was a fantastic illustration. Makes me feel better about my lack of illustrations. So, looking at 1 John chapter 1. Um, let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would um, be with me, uh, use me, um, and then uh, let everybody uh, forget about me, but to see you, and uh, pray that you would allow us to be seen in a way that transforms us. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We're going to look at three things today. Uh, We're going to see that God is light and try to understand what that means. And then we're going to see that uh, we need to walk in the light. And then, finally, we're going to understand that that can only really be done in community. So he starts off in uh, verse 5. says that this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This, um, this seems to be a summary of the gospel. This is what the message that John says the apostles have walked away from their their years with Jesus, understanding that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Uh, When you say that God is light, I think there's two particular things that John has in mind, that light reveals and light is pure, those two things. Uh, The scripture says that in your light, in God's light, we see light. You think about the fact that that all you've ever seen your entire life is light. Uh, You think you're seeing me up here, but it's just photons bouncing off me and going into your eyeballs. What you see is only and always light. Uh, And in a similar way, we got to have God is this ultimate light. And For us to see the world rightly, for us to see anything rightly, we need his light reflecting off the surfaces of things. That's why I think it makes sense of the phrase that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. It has to be, for us to really gain an understanding of where we are in this room, we need the, the light rays to bounce off the things around us. It's the same thing in our lives with God. God is that pure light that allows us to see everything. And then it makes sense of why our our culture is so messed up. It's people fumbling around without a light, a reference point to illumine things. We, uh, We don't even know the difference between boys and girls because we're we're just pushing away the light. We have moral blindness without a light source. 
when God made light, he had one inspiration, which was himself. In his presence is the only place where life can make sense. It's the only point of reference that is most important. Without him, we're in, we're in pitch darkness and we're, we're tripping over ourselves. We also see that light is pure. Light is only light. You don't uh, turn on a dark switch when your, broom, your room gets too bright. Shadows are not things. It's, it's the absence of light. Light is only light. It can't be mixed with anything else. You can hide from the light, but you'll still wonder where all these shadows are coming from around you. You can get further away from the light to dim the light. You can turn your back so it doesn't burn your eyes, but there's no impurity in light. You can discover maggots in that never used can of cream of wheat. Your clothes can come out of the dryer too damp. Um, but even a dimming light bulb only puts off light. Uh, that purity is one and the same with God's moral purity. You go through a dark alley in a city and you feel unsafe because you know that people like to hide their deeds in the darkness, away from the light. We have dark corners in our hearts where our own sinfulness frightens us. And we foolishly think that we can keep them safely locked away. We pray that nobody will figure out that we're frauds. But God has no dark corners in his being. Whatever is in God that seems ugly to you is a reflection of your own ugliness. There is no such thing as ugly light. It only reveals what's already there. As far as God goes, there is no false motive within him. So this is the message that they heard from Jesus, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So how did they get that message? Well, we saw that there is no darkness by how he lived. Jesus kept the entire law perfectly. Anyone can feel pretty good about themselves until Jesus showed them the darkness in their heart. There is even darkness in our obedience, but not so with Jesus. And we realize that if that's what true obedience looks like, if that's what true goodness looks like, then we're, we're terrible. We're the opposite. When we're in God's presence, these little sins, things that we've considered little sins, show in high definition and for their, their true nature. Isaiah 6, 5. Remember Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Remember Peter, all he had to do was get a supernatural catch of fish. And it was overcome by who he really was. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But even though it's frightening what we see in the light, we don't therefore reject the gospel. 
Peter's reaction to one miracle was, you have to get away from me. And yet, he walked with Jesus for three years. Saw miracle after miracle after miracle. How much wrong did he see in himself day after day? And still he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There was nowhere else to go. Can you conceive? Of course we can't. Can we conceive of every moment of every day making the right decision? Jesus has a heart that is full of light. There are no dark corners where he desires evil. But we, God says about us, that every intention of the thoughts of our hearts are evil. Jesus never had a false intention pulling his thoughts off the mark. He only desired God's glory. The desire in you not to live for God's glory, that's the darkness. It was beautiful when Jesus lived that way, and it would be our best if we could live that way also. Jesus always per perfectly embodied the commandments of God from his heart. Jesus was the one whose life and satisfaction revolved around doing his Father's will. He only ever bowed to serve his Father as his ultimate good. His words were the very words that his Father took pleasure in. He rested in his Father and labored with his Father. He honored his father and mother, his earthly father and mother. And he honored the office of people even while they were striving against, even, even, even while they were trying to devour his people, he would honor those in authority over him. He loved his neighbor from his heart to death. He treated every woman as a, a sister made in the image of God, he allowed God to provide for his needs, never desiring his neighbor's property, even while he didn't have a pillow to lay his head upon. He used his words for his neighbor's good only, always speaking true testimonies. We saw that there, the apostles saw that there is no darkness by how Jesus died. We would like to believe that maybe the best person in the world would be accepted by God. We would like to believe that, that God could tolerate evil the way we do. But the best person you could think of, the best person, aside from Jesus, the best person that ever lived could only be accepted by God in Christ because of his death. You know, when you're growing up, there's people that you know in your life that they seem perfect. As you get a little older and you hear some more stories and you think, wow, everybody really is a sinner. The perfect Son of God had to die for us because there is no darkness in Him. There is nothing 
compatible with our darkness in him. The difference between us and God is so great that it took the death of his infinite, perfect, beautiful son to bring us back to God. We have to be hid in him. So now instead of hiding our darkness, shutting the door on our darkness, God has made a way in Christ for us to be hidden in broad daylight. He made a safe room in the center of his blazing hot glory where we could miraculously be burning hot but not consumed, just like that bush that Moses saw. The gospel requires us to not only see God's light, but to love his light in all its perfection. God's perfection is pure light is the very thing that endangers people like us. We don't want God's light shining in on us because we're scared of his fatherly discipline. But we, we must be exposed by his light or one day we'll stand in his presence and be exposed as frauds and be cast away from him. The good news is that if we let the light shine into our lives now, we'll be safe. We have to allow the light to expose all our evil so we'll not be put to shame on the last day. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Next we see in this passage that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? Walking in the light is uh, primarily walking honestly with God. We are learning to view our sin the way his word does. We are seeing that we truly have darkness deep down, evil that we need to be cleansed from. Walking the light in this passage is contrasted with saying that we have no sin or saying we have not sin. Walking in the light does not mean we stop sinning. But then who would say they have no sin? Perhaps it's, it's when we say that those little sins are big deals. Perhaps that is what it means to say that we have no sin. We can only walk honestly with God if we are confident that Jesus has taken away every ounce of shame and wrath and judgment that we deserve. If we say in Jesus that we are his beloved righteous children, we aren't afraid of our sins being called out. The gospel says God sees all our darkness. If you come to him, he will cleanse you. He's the one who gave Jesus to take away your sins. His goodness and love makes it possible to walk with him and to acknowledge all your evil. We don't have to cover up anything. He is covering us in the righteousness of his son. Walking in the light secondarily means uh, seeking to direct our ways, uh, direct our lives in ways that reflect his light. Um, 
you know, John says in John, uh, 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning either has either seen him or known him. Uh, I, I think this is kind of like when mom says, we don't do that in this family. Why does she say it? Well, probably because we do it a lot in this family. Um, you know, someone might ask us, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you participate? Why don't you talk like everybody else? And kind of a natural answer that might come to us is that, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't want to dishonor God. And yet we realize that often we seem to want to dishonor God. But that's, that's not what we want our life to be about. We have this tension between the sins we confess and the fact that we no longer sin. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He wants us to believe that our life is not compatible with sin anymore. We used to be comforted by sin, and now our sin disturbs us. We, we turn to him for, for cleansing. We want to be more and more like him. We want to walk towards the light. Proverbs 4, 18, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And that's great news because we're not too bright yet. I hope that you can look back in a year and see your life getting brighter. Thankfully, these two things are not separate. That being honest with God and living in a way that honors Him. Ephesians 5, 13, and 14 but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a brain scratcher there. Anything that becomes visible is light. The, the light of God is our most powerful weapon against our sin. How does anything that becomes visible is light? Maybe... Maybe Paul was understanding what I was saying, that everything we see is just light coming to our eyes. Maybe it's a moral truth as well. When God's light shines in our wicked hearts, we simultaneously see the wickedness of our hearts and simultaneously are being changed. We're taking away the hiding places in the cities of our hearts where we used to do evil deeds so that God's light can shine from every bit of our personality. Our sin is like a vampire that wants to stay in darkness so that it can continue destroying us. Our secret parts are dangerous. Keeping those dark rooms closed off is not safe. He says in verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus loves to forgive us as many times as the day is long. It says he's faithful to forgive our sins. Just like he told us to forgive our brother in one day 77 times. He didn't tell us that because he's less patient. I think he told us that because it's a good starting place. He's way more patient. So he's faithful to forgive. He loves to forgive. He wants to forgive. That's, he's 
desiring for you to come to him for forgiveness. A million times a day. But it also says that he is just to forgive. He has justice on his side when he forgives us because Jesus Christ has taken the punishment for our sins. The wrath for our sins is gone, and Jesus has purchased the right to forgive us with his blood. So he's faithful, and he has the right. He wants to forgive us as long as the day, as the day is long, and, and he has the right to. He'll never fail. We confess our sins, and we let the light shine into our lives, and we see these two results that come about, forgiveness and cleansing, it says, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whether it's the first time making this sin right with God or the millionth time asking for forgiveness and he's restoring our fellowship with the Father, the forgiveness and the cleansing are inseparable. Getting the light into the corners of our hearts where it hadn't reached before so that our desires little by, change little by little, it happens every time that we confess our sin. And then we look back five years and we say, you know, this, I might still be fighting some of the same sins. I might be still confessing some of the same sins, but the battle doesn't seem as, as difficult. I feel like there's more victory. Oh, but then there's this other dark room that I didn't know about yet, and there's a new beast to fight. And so we continually make war on the darkness inside us. Finally, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The gospel enables true fellowship. Jesus Christ can take mortal enemies and make them into friends. That's what he did with Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that we might that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. His flesh is the bridge between all people. Through Christ we can love people who, by nature, are totally different. If the, if the cross can make Jews and Gentiles friends, and that was a division that God put in place, God can tear down that division then there is no division that can stand. There is no slave or free. There is no black or white. There is no American or foreigner. There is no Republican or Democrat. There is no Walmart or Target. Um, only the gospel can make everything that used to divide us into nothing. The Spirit's goal in our life is for us to walk in unity. The Spirit creates unity and fellowship. Think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Meanwhile, uh, the works of the flesh are divisive things. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is things that we experience in community, things that we need when dealing with people that we don't get along with very well. As Ephesians 4.3 says, we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's a supernatural thing. 
Going to church isn't about avoiding people who are not like you. I heard of a um, cowboy carpenter church. I don't, I don't quite understand the connection there. But assuming that you know, those groups have a natural affinity, they, um, I mean, it was literally called the cowboy carpenter church, pretty sure. Um, you don't need the spirit if you're a cowboy and you like all cowboys and carpenters. Um, you can get along pretty well in that church just on your natural flesh. It's only when we're walking in the spirit that we're walking in the light. And when we're walking in the light, we can see well enough to love one another. We can see clearly that the things that we held as so critical to our identity, our identity were mere trinkets. We see that compared to the beauty of knowing Christ, everything else has just been ordered from the Oriental Trading Company. Once we value what's valuable, we have fellowship with one another. And other people look at us and say, how could those people possibly love each other and put up with each other? And, you know, this person has a Trump flag in their yard, and, and this person's skin is crawling when they drive by, and yet they love each other. And yes, sometimes we get in, in the flesh and we get at each other's throats, but, but sometimes, hopefully most of the time, we're walking the light so that our differences can seem like rubbish. Part of the problem, though, is that our shared interests, those things that allow us to get into relationships in the first place so easily, our shared interests often become places where we hide from the light. If we're both concerned with all the bad things the Clintons have done or all the bad things Trump has done, I never have to be concerned with my bad thoughts and motives being revealed or criticized. See, we're supposed to come to church to be united with people that are different from us. Do you find yourself drawn only toward those who are naturally like you? That is your natural self. <clears throat> the one who naturally goes to hell if God allows you to continue to roam free. You could do that every day for the rest of your life and never need the Spirit to be at work in you. Do you want the Spirit to be at work in you? Then you need to start loving the people that are difficult to love. 1 John 2.11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The things we have in common are excellent places to hide. I think of a friend who's now apostate, that our common interest was theology, and you would think that that would be a pretty safe place, like we're having real fellowship because we like talking about the Bible and doctrine and things like that, and yet it's an easy place for your dead heart to hide. Just read some good books and talk about good theology, and then shut off all the corners of your heart. There are old saintly Methodists who could use a lot of Westminster Confession who nevertheless know Jesus and he shines all over them. And they don't believe in eternal security, but they are secure because God is cleansing them. And he's been cleansing them for a long time and they've been confessing their sins with other believers for a long time 
and they really love the light and hate their own darkness. If you come to church and avoid everyone who disagrees with you, you are not walking in the light. You are concealing your own shame. Sin and shame is the ultimate barrier to fellowship with one another. If we confess to God, we don't have any fear of others finding us out. I know that Christ, if I know that Christ has died for my sin and God accepts me because he has paid for my sin, what reason do I have to hide from you? So in summary, God is pure and his purity reveals who we are. And we are ugly deep down, but when we confess to him, we let his light shine into our hearts and we're transformed to walk in the good path that's laid before us. But we need community to do this. You need an image of God, a living, breathing image of God that you can confess your sins to. So as a final point of application, stop hiding behind shared interests. We need the the light of the Christ to shine in our hearts. We need to open our hearts to God and to one another. Why is it so hard when God knows everything? Some of you have not really opened yourselves to God because you haven't opened yourself to any of your neighbors. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another. It's easy enough to fold your hands and speak words into the air and really not be talking to anybody, really not be opening up to God. But when you have a brother who's made in the image of God and you can confess those sins to that person, you know that you're serious about it. You're moving towards obedience. So we need to confess to one another. Who is a friend who will speak the gospel to you? You don't have to confess every sin to everyone. But that's, that's how we battle sin. We shine the light in and we do it person to person. When someone confesses sins to us, then we need to respond with the gospel. <clears throat> we need to assure people that Christ has died for them and that he has covered their sins. I know that within the sound of my voice, there are people who have sins that they have never confessed to anyone. And you believe that, God, that you've confessed them to God, but you haven't really. Is there not one believer that you could tell about the darkness in your heart? There are people within the sound of my voice whose heart is racing right now because When you do share a sin, you try to pick a safe sin to confess that won't be too embarrassing. There's a secret place in your soul that the devil is telling you louder than the sound of my voice. No one will understand if you tell them, and your life is over once they find out. And he's lying to you. It's just his way of keeping you in slavery and in bondage. I cannot overemphasize the urgency of you finding one person whom you really believe loves Jesus and unburdening your soul. I want you to believe for the first time in your life that God is real 
that he's really real, and that the Spirit's real. So you can believe in the first time in your life that maybe this fellow believer would love you in your darkness. Maybe there's such a thing as supernatural love that does not come from man. You're hiding because you haven't really believed such a thing exists. You can't confess your sin because the gospel seems like a pretty cool set of ideas, but you don't believe that real love exists that can know you in the dark corners and tell you that Jesus died even for those things. There is love that will look past the differences in our sin and the strangeness and see the truth that we are all very deeply broken. Compared to the pure light of God, we are all much more similar than we are different. So my plea is to be honest for the first time. Who do you need to talk to? Who can you trust the most? I pray right now in Jesus' name that if you have been hiding you will pick the one fellow believer or elder that you halfway trust, that they might really have supernatural love living within them. And I pray that you will pull them aside or call them up or send them a text and say, can we talk this afternoon? And just unburden the secret that has been weighing you down. They will tell you that Jesus really has died to forgive, to forgive you and that you're right with God then you'll get off the phone and you'll walk outside and you'll say, I don't know that the sun has ever shined this brightly before and the burden will be gone and you'll feel free for the first time. It'll be like you're walking into a whole new world. And then make it regular. Join this person's small group or meet with them regularly. And uh, go deeper in your friendship. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Help us to fight sin. Help us to walk towards your light. Do a work in our hearts this morning. I pray that today there would be some long overdue conversations. That you would be freeing people from burdens that have been used to ensnare them for way too long. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.